talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where, eh, pretty regularly, this is two weeks down the road, we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit of a more critical eye from a socialist perspective here in 2019. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is the third episode of the third season, yes. Ways and Means. Yes. So, the, the state of being here is we are starting to kick off the actual processes to which the Bartlett administration will be exposed as they, like, adjudicate the fraud that they have perpetrated. Right. It's the investigation the, the, into the MS scandal, uh, essentially, is uh, starting to play out. And uh, the first thing is subpoenas. And so the whole code open is about, oh, my God, is there, are there going to be subpoenas? Oh, my God, there's going to be subpoena, 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 subpoena. And then uh, <laughs> Babish and the prosecutor, who is named Clem Rollins, uh, uh, have a little talk beforehand. And Babish is like, but we've been playing along fine. We've been, we've been doing everything right. We've been operating entirely in good faith. And he's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck, though. I'm going to do... <laughs> Which just proves, like, what's the what's the fucking point in, like, giving all these concessions to the other side right away when they're just going to bowl over you? Well, exa- it, and I didn't even write this down, but I was like, yep, that sounds like a Democrat. Yep. You know, it's that, that's go. pulling a Democrat. Yep. We're going to bear our bellies immediately. We've been operating good faith the whole time. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't care. And so then he goes into his room with his grand jury, which, of interesting note, they don't know what they're there for, which is interesting. Uh, he managed to keep them sequestered as to the entire purpose of their uh, as of their stay, as to not taint them, uh, which I just thought that was a neat little detail. And then he starts listing off, listing off the uh, list of subpoenas uh, as he names every main character in the cast uh, as we... As we fade out into the credits uh we learned some middle names uh i think we haven't heard toby's before toby zachary ziegler it's a uh, good name it's a good good solid jewish middle name uh josh yeah. lyman apparently has no middle name or at least the subpoena failed to mention it uh which i thought was another interesting tidbit yep and so i i have a note here that doesn't really matter but it's like the entire cold open is dim dimly yes. lit Actually, and also, like, the rest of the episode, when they're not outside or whatever, is also dimly lit. It feels like they're trying to channel, like, a courtroom drama just for this one episode. Like, you know, like it's a Grisham novel film or something. Yeah, like like a little uh, pastiche of noir Mm -hmm. over the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Because we're dealing with, like, oh, legal stuff and, you know, a conspiracy and, and whatnot. Um so then, meanwhile, we cut to Donna after the cold open, uh, and to set up, clumsily set up, I might add, the uh, one of the other main plots of this episode, which is Donna goes on a date with a Republican. So she, there's, I do want to point out, there's like, I like the 
blocking in this scene, like the framing of it and the comedy angles like they chose for the camera where sometimes you just see like Donna's arm jut out in a very comedic way of like, cause she's sorting through all these boxes and she's having this kind of like manic moment of like, I had a system, I had a system and the system has <laughs> fallen apart. And like, it's funny and you know, it's clever. It's well done. This is Sorkin. Like he can't write jokes. He can write funny. Like, he can write funny intentionally, but he can't write a joke. It's just weird. Yeah, well, and he, he relies on the talent of his actors, too. Right. Because, you know, she's good and she sells it in this scene. We And the, the understanding is that, like, she is handling the information of the disclosure that's going to, she's got, like, the she's legal She's the processes. one who has to gather up all the shit that the subpoenas t- tell them to gather up, uh, essentially. Yeah. So yep. she's having to sort through all the actual, like, paperwork that they're going to have to ship over. As they mentioned later on, like, we've already shipped over, like, 80 boxes to the prosecutor's office. Um, well, and I think at this point, I and I don't, I, I wrote this up very early on because it seems like we've already, there, there's, a, there's a gap in the timeline here that I'm confused about. Because we've gotten from Rollins being appointed, which he wasn't in the last episode. Correct. We're, we're to meant to all, say, think that happened off screen, presumably. Yes. And and already the White House is now at the point where it's like, no, we need to get this out of the house. Like, we need to get this into the house instead or something. Right. So what well, is... That's, that's CJ's the, the, whole play for this yes. entire episode, which is... Sorry. Yeah, I, I should have mentioned that it's first. Okay. So we actually, we go into the idea that we get this concept that CJ, having been fucking up... For some time. Yes. Now in her professional responsibility. Yep. She needs to like get back on the horse. Yeah. Here. Babish even says you're trying to get back into the game with one big home run swing. Because of course Sorkin loves a a tortured sports metaphor. If he can can sneak one in there. Uh, And so the, the conceit is that because they are getting shit on by the special prosecutor. They think they can score some sort of. PR victory and also establish like a party line um, defensive situation against the investigation by moving it into the House of Representatives and specifically like the committee, the Ways and Means Committee, which is the title of the episode. So CJ's logic here is basically that Clem Rollins, the current special prosecutor, is too nice of a guy. And so if they, in her words, if you're not playing offense in politics, you're playing defense. And we can, they can't go on the offense against him because he's just too reasonable a Republican, which of course is another lib fantasy that uh, <laughs> the Donna part of this episode will continue to, uh, to nurture. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, so her, her logic is like, okay, so we can't attack this guy cause he's too nice. Why don't we get the house of representatives to start investigating and then we can attack them cause they suck. Uh, and then we'll, and then we'll get the win. Um, and that's basically her whole plot for this episode, but it is expressed through this sort of Machiavellian, Machiavellian-esque manipulation of the media, uh, making her look sort of like this smooth operator, who knows exactly how to like plant a spin a spin argument into the into the media atmosphere? Yeah, and it seems again, and I mean, I we might as well just talk about this now yes. because it's like it's <laughs> just very it's too convoluted. Yes. I remember one. I remember honestly the first time I watched this, I had almost no fucking idea 
what the benefit or the aim of her and frankly of her being treated to several scenes of this evolving with her trying to be this master manipulator and getting all smug about how it's all working according to my plans right type of thing where it is the it is like a a, a twist inside of a, a like a what the fuck is the word I'm twisting? It's like, yeah, it's 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 just back and forth and back and forth and inside and out, and it's just like, what is what are you accomplishing right here? And I think, and then at the end, I think even Babish sums it up with like, okay, well, you might have gotten a nice little PR victory or whatever, but you haven't actually like fixed anything, uh, and yeah. we're we're still in for quite the legal battle here. Uh, you haven't actually helped us in that regard whatsoever. <laughs> well, and yeah, so what is, I guess the question then just becomes, what is the value of all of this this energy you the, and you time? You win the news cycle yeah. for like a day or two, I guess. In a, yeah, pre, in a pre-Twitter world, the idea of winning the news cycle, you know. Well, and yeah, you can you can lever that to a certain degree. Um, and I think so, this is this is the ins and outs of CJ's plot in, in this thing. It yes. is them them doing their damnedest to score a PR victory without actually and again very west wingily without actually accomplishing anything you know it's Correct. that 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 goes out and honestly that is it with that plot thing like nothing super crazy no it's is all actually just explained about a, it's all just about gain a slight PR win for the white house like literally that's the whole but it's framed in such a way like like she's achieving the impossible or or something like that uh, yes. So meanwhile, we, the other two plot lines that we haven't even touched on yet involve Toby and Sam. Uh, so Toby is meeting with uh, some uh, Republicans, congressional Republicans, I guess, about the estate tax, a.k.a. the death tax. Uh, they want to raise the thresholds uh, to what ironically what is now lower than what the current limit is <laughs> of 5 million they want to raise it from hype their hypothetical 1 million to 2.5 million uh and they're like uh yes we're doing a compromise because compromise is good and it down to be fair i will give them credit they're angry about the fact that they have to compromise and leo does say that both toby and josh kind of like g- get it stuck in their craw when they have to compromise with Republicans, and he's just telling them, like, look, just go make nice, don't cause a problem. Um, but this is very, very West Wingy that they're just they're coming out to compromise because it will help them with a the fight down the road. Uh, spoilers that will you know do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least at the very least, in in putting the words into Toby's mouth, you know, Toby is our. Um, our god damn it i'm just bad at words today he's he's the he's the polemic deliverer he he's the one who gets up on a soapbox and and goes on escalating pitch of voice speeches by himself so to their credit they write in him not even bothering to talk about like the the generation of revenue via taxes or being like oh we have to balance the budget so we need this right or whatever he strictly expresses it as a method of keeping generational wealth accumulation uh, yeah, he in calls check. Out, you know, because your kid, you know, your grandkids' grandkids will have a fortune that they never have to work a day in their lives. Like, you know, he's calling that out specifically as a way yep. of reducing that sort of generational wealth that is so, you know, toxic to society. 
Yeah, and and good for them in that yes. case. It, it was it was a, a Cre- welcome surprise. Credit where credits due. The West Wing gets one right and realizes the estate tax is good, and uh, and in fact we should tax the shit out of it. There is a little. Um, they throw in a little bit of like, oh, but the money's been taxed already, and then Toby shuts that the fuck down. Yeah, uh, very quickly, <laughs> which is great. Uh, w- one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard is like double taxation or whatever. Like, oh, okay. So when I get my paycheck from my job and income tax is taken out, and then I go and buy my Wendy's and sales tax is taken out, shouldn't I be screaming at the government about this double taxation <laughs> that's going on? <laughs> or is that but, just the way society works? <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it breaks down sort of like in your example, if you extend the logic to doing normal people things. Like, it it just fundamentally doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, yeah. it, it eventually, if you if you follow that down the rabbit hole, you get to the sort of completely opposite. I guess in my case, lefty perspective, where it's like, no, all of this money is just fake. Right. Like, oh yeah. No, I lo- I love that. I do love getting to that end eventually too. That's that's usually my go to if I ever get into like an economic argument with people. It's like, okay, let me just blow your mind here. Money is arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we made it up as a value ex- way of exchange. Uh, the actual value we have in society is all of its production capacity. Yeah, and I mean it's it fundamentally Marxist. It's a stand-in yes. for resources. So right. anyway, we do see. Um, so that that's sort of a, a brief bit. Yeah, beginning um, here. it's more played out as a, a sort of fear that they realize now that the Republicans are just going to do, are going to try to get whatever they want because the White House is weak right now because they're dealing with this inquiry. Uh, So, like, the meeting gets canceled uh, for, like, a dumb reason. Like, oh, he needs to fly out to his daughter's wedding. Isn't that on Saturday? Today's Wednesday. Like, uh, and they realize, like, the only reason they're canceling the meeting is basically to fuck with them and and be like, (laughs) hey, we have the big dick. We're going to throw it on the table. Deal with it. Kind of thing. And so this leads to the scene with there's one of the one of the people who sits on this. this committee they then bring into the white house to be like what the fuck's your problem Mm -hmm. and then so it's this guy who's the the it's a representative his name's compost um and this we'll we'll break this down separately well uh, yeah i was gonna get into that as a separate plot line yeah so anyway there's this awesome there's this awesome interaction with sam and and josh um with this guy am i am i thinking that's the connection to it right See, no, this is what I happens in this was, episode. I thought that was separate. I thought this Sam is what was happens here. Talking. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, I, I've already lost the thread. No, no, because Bruno. Like, okay, so Bruno comes into Leo uh, with the videotape of the basketball game. That's how the Campos ah uh, uh, yes. plotline gets okay. introduced. Where he's Thank like, you for keeping me on the level here. Right, where he's like, here, let me show you a VCR. And Leo's like, some gizmo at, at, at the VCR. A device so old it is already obsolete. Uh, and is like, I can't get my VCR to work in my White House office. And, and frankly, both of them, Bruno and Leo, are both sitting there like doing the old man thing. Right, like, of like, like flailing the at the buttons yeah. on the remote. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well... I can't get the tape to work, but it would show you this Victor Campos man sitting with uh, Buckland, and I think Buckland is like a primary threat for Bartlett. Is that the implication? 
Yes, I believe so. Okay, yeah. So uh, this this Victor Campos guy, who is a um, uh, Hispanic vote organizer, uh, is now is getting wooed by Bartlett's primary opponent, uh, and and got him like tickets to a shitty basketball game, which is of course the clue that they're actually meeting about politics because no one wanted to watch the actual shitty basketball game. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so they find this out, like, and then. So that is the reason so that then they the staff then the calls House him to the White House to, yeah. to, to meet with him to be like, hey, what's going on? Why are you sitting courtside with Buckland? Are you are you unhappy? What what can we do to make you happy? Uh, and that's what Sam and his conversation is about. Uh, and that gets very interesting and very heated where um, where Sam demands loyalty, essentially, and uh, and. You know, Campos correctly says like loyalty can't be deposited into a savings account. You know, yeah, which rules? Which and we'll, is a again, great line. <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 talk about that like specifically a little bit. I've like I said, there's just so much bullshit that happens in this episode. It's like there's a lot. There's a lot going on. A lot happened, and we haven't even talked about Donna dating a Republican yet, and we're already 15 <laughs> minutes in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so let's take a, a quick, quick break, break out of what yeah. happens. Let's okay. let's just touch on. So Ainsley match makes Donna. Yep. She says, "Hey, go out with this while, guy." While cool. she's in the boxes, yeah. Cool. She's like, "I, Pretty... I got this guy for you. He's cute. He's funny. Go go have a nice time." Uh, uh, there's a there's a check on the president where they're like, "He's gonna have to bust out the big guns. He's gonna have to threaten a veto." Right. Like veto he's gonna have to veto this the estate, estate tax, tax thing. Bill. Yeah, the, and, that the Republicans are going to push through. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, we get more of CJ's weird thread. We do get a, uh, a convenient dodge by the president as an excuse of how to not talk about replacing Mrs. Landingham. Yes. He goes down this rabbit hole about wanting pens because she used to put a pen in them. In his and pocket. He's like, yeah. He's like, I like, used to have beautiful <laughs> pens. And, and I love Charlie picking the pen out of the Resolute desk and handing it to him. Yeah. Like, like, here's a fucking pen right here, sir. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude, the Resolute desk always there's, has just there's two, two pens. There's two pens right in front of you all the time. He's yeah. like, now, to be fair, Bartlett's like, that's a fancy pen. I need, like, an everyday pen. Yeah, we the, get... The pen um, thread in something awful would be having a heyday with this yes, episode. absolutely. Fountain pens. Mmm. <laughs> I prefer an ink with lower viscosity. I prefer a quill with a feather on it. <laughs> yes. So, like, the Charlie susses it out that it's basically, like, the president displacing his, like, him legitimately being upset. Yeah. Yeah, his grief over, yeah. over Landingham's death. Yeah, and there's a nice little moment where he goes and finds the pens in her desk and it's played very well uh, by Sheen and all that. Like, a nice little humanizing moment. Which you know, the show is giving Bartlett less and less of, and I think maybe that's why he's, you know, I guess you could count two cathedrals as like a quote-unquote humanizing moment, but I don't know. I read that as ego. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to draw that line between. This um, is a lot more humanizing. This is like a quiet, sad, real way people deal with grief. Of like, oh, it's an absence in my life, and there's like a tangible thing i can point to to that absence like that well, and it's it's well done i'm trying to give credit here yeah and it's, it's 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 it can be tough to draw the line a distinction between like displaying emotion at all yeah and being humanizing because i think you're right in two cathedrals 
He displays a lot of emotion. Right, but it's, but it's melodrama. It's, it's yeah, drama it's, for it's, drama's sake. Yeah, exactly. It's over the top. It's, you know, he's swearing at God in unsubtitled Latin. <laughs> this is a lot more real of like, oh, fuck, my pens. You know, like, that's real. A, a practical impact on my day-to-day life that is on account of a very good friend's absence. This this woman it. who's been in my life for, you know, my basically my entire life, as we found mm-hmm. out from the flashbacks. Uh, so, yeah, I think that mostly wraps up the episode itself. We'll dig into more uh, as we dig into stuff. Um, I want to dig into the Donna Republican dating plot line because we barely mentioned it, but who boy is it filled with some doozies. <laughs> so let's yeah. take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, I'll start digging into that. Okay. <laughs> So let's just dig right into, let's ignore all the politics. I mean, we'll, do, we'll touch on politics a bit, but let's talk about what you're really here for. Hardcore nudity. Shake, shake, shake. No, God, I, oh, I only wish. This show is actually quite sexless, honestly. There's like, you know, spoilers, Donna and Josh eventually hook up and like, we don't even get like a quote unquote sex scene between them. I sort of. Uh, that's not till much later. There's, Anywho, there's barely a notion of the show opened of, with sex with Sam and and Lori the, the yeah. escort. But then since then, like nothing other than like maybe a tease of uh, the president and the first lady ha- gonna have sex that one time till he puts his foot in his mouth about like getting the uh, famed historical figure wrong. Uh, an offenser. <laughs> well, and I think you're just generally, you're absolutely right. It uh, it completely eschews, um, you know, the, the particularly like brazen or blatant sex, which actually may be yeah. a sign of, I mean, it may be like an early 2000s thing. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just that, like, they got so many words that they got to get to. They ain't got time for that, you know? Like, there's so many damn words on the page that if people have sex for a minute, that's going to, like, ruin the whole the whole thing. They can't be talking dirt, although I guess a Sorkin sex scene would involve absolutely. a lot of talking. <laughs> a lot of talking. <laughs> uh, and I guess part of it, too, is just network TV. Uh, yeah, so but it, it even has to then, be. like you, you know, you can get, you know, Friends showed a shitload of, you know, like network TV versions of sex. You know, obviously, I'm not looking for penetration here. Where, where are we talking about? Oh, oh yes, yeah, dating. we're talking about Cliff <laughs> Kelly. Uh, so yeah, so they have it as you put it, a meet cute. I, I like to call it a meet late because Donna's <laughs> an hour and a half late for their date. Um, so they, they meet just as he's leaving and shouting for a taxi going, oh, I can't believe I fucking waited for this stupid, oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as she just walked, and, uh, so 
they uh, their date goes well and they start t- talking and then so Donna finally gets to the uh, I've at some point uh, during the uh, matchmaking process Ainsley Hayes uh, that has initiated this matchmaking does explain that Cliff Cali is a Republican. Um, which he does by obfuscating of like, oh, he works with the House. Oh, he works with the House Majority Committee or Minority Committee. Well, he works with the Majority Committee. <laughs> oh, so he's a Republican. Well, we are the majority. <laughs> yep, you could have just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so during their date, Donna finally gets to the whole like, okay, so you seem nice, you seem cute. Why are you a Republican? And I actually want the clip of his joke answer here first. Okay. Why are you a Republican? I'm sorry? Why are you a Republican? Because I hate poor people. I hate them, Donna. They're all so poor. And many of them talk funny and don't have proper table manners. My father slaved away at the Fortune 500 company he inherited so that I could go to Choate, Brown, and Harvard and see that this country isn't overrun by poor people and lesbians. <laughs> uh, because honestly, the, this feels like he's telling the truth, quite frankly, when he just says, I hate poor people. <laughs> um, it's something that could be said uninflected. And yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? Basically. Uh, but no, his actual, you know, he, he retreats to the excuse of, I like small government. And when government gets too big, it just starts, you know, governing too much. And then that's a big problem for everyone. Um, and it's, I don't know. I guess I could, like, really do do a teardown of it, but obviously it's on its face ridiculous as an excuse. And it's just, this show wants to have the idea of, like, the reasonable Republican who's only in it for the good, noble reasons. Like, you know, like, quote-unquote, small government. And don't worry, Cliff Cowley isn't a bigot in any possible way. You know, he's he's never done anything that might have harmed a minority inadvertently with, with awful legislation. No, no, he's a good Republican. Or, you know, his views on wealth distribution don't subtly inform every aspect of his life and his perception right. of the world or any yeah. of these things where and just the fundamental ideal that no capitalism's great and we you know we just got to tweak it a little and and uh, which of course the democrats mostly agree with anyway and so i mean it, it's it's a tortured way to get around to it but this show is now i'll I'll give credit donna does call it out as being crap uh but then she says but you're really cute so we can go out we can go out (laughs) again which hey i mean like look fair enough donna (laughs) you know you're not gonna marry the guy or whatever have your fun yeah you know i'm Uh, we're we're a sex positive podcast here but like i don't know guys don't fuck republicans don't, well, especially, especially not nowadays. This yeah, was, in, to be fair, this was post just post 9-11. We were all in a weird headspace. Uh, <laughs> we so were all I'll, getting I'll be, fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give her a little bit of an excuse. They hadn't gone uh, full fash yet. You know, they were just merely proto-fash. Uh, yeah, don't fuck Republicans. Definitely not anyone in the real world. Um, but he, uh, Cliff has to actually cancel the date early once he re- once he realizes that she has been what helping with the investigation. I guess is what he realizes. Oh no no no, he just got transferred two ways and means, and he doesn't know why at first, and then he realizes. 
oh, they want help investigating the White House. That's why they, uh, it's probably a good idea if I'm not dating the deputy, deputy chief of staff secretary. Well, um, it's not. I think that's what, that's what happens. Yes. And, and he does it quite abruptly, which I was. Yeah. It's like out of nowhere. Well, and I, I understand the, um, like the dramatic pacing of the reaction because it's like him doing that makes it stand out that much more however and i was talking about this with my wife it was like no real person would just be like he literally says i have to say goodnight now and then walks away yeah yeah it's just he doesn't he doesn't even like put a qualification around why saying like it would be professionally problematic for us to continue doing any like i mean you could just unreservedly doing any of this but he doesn't right. even give her the like the the courtesy of an explanation right. he's just like cool and what what's funny is they will end up dating again uh, and uh. It will be, so uh, it's just rudeness across the board she was an hour and a half late he left without explaining why i guess they're perfect for each other <laughs> like i said it at the beginning it's like why the fuck would ainsley match make it in this convoluted fucking yeah like there are other men of There's so many of other men 30 something years old in washington dc there are who aren't s- republicans who aren't any of these potential complications get someone away from politics honestly donna and, like just go meet a guy and, and who's so not involved in like politics. when when you think it down that road it's like this becomes just a ham-handed way to introduce the character like yes i why yeah it's completely unnecessary yeah and not only that but then further on minor spoilers there there's plot complications to the fact that they hook up because he will catch donna in a lie where she claims to not have a diary and he's like i know you have a diary i saw it when i was over at your place (laughs) having sex you remember that one night that i i gave it to you real good (laughs) like Three good minutes. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very it's proud. Just, it's just like it. It seems in like cut out and inserted into the episode. It's almost out of, it's like out of another show entirely. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. like we haven't we haven't seen a date before on this show. As we and we like, just got done saying that it's a relatively sexless show. So right. The the abrupt and brief interjection of this. And as, as you a, said, it feels very Ryan Reynolds-y, early 2000s. Oh, like, yeah. Like, their dialogue is, it's it's not the, it's trying to do the Sorkin back and forth, but it's also trying to be, like, a romantic comedy, and it's, uh, uh. Yeah, and it, it's straight out of, like, the Van Wilder, super cocky, erudite, right. too many words type of interacting. Right. I'll, I'll give the actor uh, credit where credit's due. He's a charming, good-looking man, little yep. short. Uh, because, uh, um, Donna is not that tall, uh, but she towers over him. Yes, she does. (laughs) Which I, which is always funny to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's take another quick break here and then we can dig into a couple more political issues in this particular (laughs) episode. We can stop bitching about how poorly Sorkin handles But I like it! with plastic bags walking to the church with the Spanish candles Billy Barancho says Que putas Andale hoto Your popsicles melting Run the do run the do run run In the midnight sun Where are you going to 
So to briefly remark on the sort of the potential primary challenge to the Bartlett presidency, basically, so, so far, given, this is the first we're hearing of it, by the way, which is why, again, so much of this stuff just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> well, and I believe that this is why it was inserted here, because the rest of the episode is almost sort of um, uh, devoted to demonstrating how there's a certain amount of disarray which translates, of course, in the Western world to vulnerability Yes, um, on the part of the president. So the, the brass tacks is that there is a very powerful guy named Victor Campos, who is a union organizer, like a huge power broker, specifically in California. Mm-hmm. And the administration's fear is that if he is like hooning around with this primary challenger guy, it's clear that he supports him. In his potential challenge to a Bartlett president, a second term. Correct. Or it so you know, they could cause issues. Yes. And I think the fear, as you just articulated, is that if Campos goes, they lose California's 54 electoral votes. Right. Which is like, you know, or, the, uh, the heart of a Democratic Or, or uh, Sam puts it like uh, 435 primary delegates as well. Uh, so it's, exactly. uh, it's both. Um, yep. But yeah. That's definitely the fear. So, uh, so after Bruno informs Leo about it, Leo tasks Sam with meeting with him and basically, as I was said earlier in the episode, finding out what do you want? Um, you know, what, what do you, what do we need to do to get to ensure that you're going to be on our side when, you know, the time comes as he explains to Connie, you know, this man has just an army of organizers and phone volunteers and, and, you know, data banks of, of voters just ready to go to like start whipping up votes for you, you know, so really important ally to have. So, so they, they sit down in the mirror, in the, um, Mur- blah, blah, blah. I, I think it's the mural room. I can't spit out the word mural. Yes, <laughs> the mural room, and uh, and they have this very heated argument back and forth. Uh, do you just want to like kind of put the bit in here, or yeah? Well, I'll, I'll play the clip of them them talking. We fought a war together. What the hell happened to loyalty? You tell me. You know what? The president promised to ban permanent striker replacement workers, and he did it. Thank you. So the jobs he isn't shipping overseas will be safe and secure. Who else was talking about prenatal care for illegal immigrants in Davenport, Iowa? That isn't where it needs to be talked about. He put an empowerment zone in Pacoima, and no one has worked harder to raise the minimum wage. Mi gente gana más que el mínimo sueldo. subió a podio en la medita convención, Victor. Porque necesitaban una cara morena. Estás equivocado. No lo estoy. Lowest Latino unemployment in history, more small business loans for Hispanic entrepreneurs, and the biggest drop in Latino poverty in two decades. That's what I got in the last election. What do I get in this one? So <clears throat> this was actually something that, again, to their credit, made sort of an, an interesting impact on me from the side of the writers of this. They're talking about basically Compost wants to know what exactly the president is about. Yes. Because from his perspective, he has been pretty much failing on every right. Yeah, like and, on every front. And Campos helped out in the first campaign. Uh, and and did all of his you know uh, voter activism for Bartlett in the first campaign and has gotten effectively very little uh, in in return, uh, which is what he's trying to express to Sam. Um, and I mean, we, which, which we I also... love that you know all of a sudden Bartlett has all these nice policies they can point to is like, but what about this? But what about this? We did this and this, <laughs> and I'm like, we haven't seen you do any of this, so I guess it all conveniently happened off screen. Well, and it's also um, they they bring this guy in and his 
aesthetic from the ground up, I wrote this down, is that he's he's a Trumpka stand-in, and I'm not saying Trump here. Right. I'm saying Richard Trumpka, who is the basically the AFL CIO, correct? Like yeah. big union union guy with a mustache from the Midwest, right? Very very that type of labor aesthetic in this character. Um, so his question, I think, is is a very appropriate question challenge from the left here is that what actually have you done for the material conditions of my constituents? Which is very little to basically nothing is the actual answer. Well, and so then, and sort of to drive at my, like the real interesting part of this is the exchange that we heard just there in Spanish mm-hmm. actually involves, and I'm not like, I'm certainly not fluent in Spanish in any way, but there's some interesting actual usage of connotation in the Spanish words that they choose to express these things. Um, so the translation real quick of that is that Campo says, my people earn more than the minimum wage. Sam C- Sam then randomly breaks back into Spanish at him, which, uh, okay, <laughs> what? Sure, cool dude. And so he says, you stood up at the podium at the Maldita, which is like a, it's not quite damn like or did you you'd use for damn convention? Sure. It's a polite sort of profanity. Dang, and then Campo says, perhaps. "Yeah, it's like a, exactly." At the dang very convention. <laughs> so, and then Victor Campo says, "Because you needed a dark face and the use of Morena as the word to describe like dark face is another interesting sort of subtle, um, potentially ra- not quite racially tinged." thing because it's clear that he's talking about like you know mm-hmm. yeah you're a bunch yeah, of whiteies you needed you needed brown cred with the with the hispanics and, and yep. i gave it to you by going and speaking at the convention yep and then sam says like you're wrong and victor says no i'm not so right. i just thought it was an interesting although completely again sort of out of the blue use of both a foreign language and particularly some good and well nuanced developed choices of words in that language to use for the situation right okay and then the other thing i want to get into before we drop this topic is so the solution they come to or the thing that victor wants is for the white house to back a bill that would give amnesty to all uh latino immigrants from the america's continent uh, meaning, you know, anyone from South America, from Mexico, you know, Central America, those those countries would get, uh, it's basically sort of like a pathway to citizenship, um, kind of, or, or was it actually just free and clear amnesty? Uh, but I think it was, I think it was, yeah. Like just free and clear amnesty. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, which would be, of course, ideal. Uh, the Bartlett White House, of course, will not do it. But Connie, in her, uh, after her credential check that she gives to Sam, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when expressing exactly how qualified she is to sit in on this meeting, comes up with the brilliant idea of, yes, why don't we just do amnesty, Sam? Because if you amnesty immigrants, they'll all vote for you, which is like the Republican, like, boogie, boogeyman <laughs> argument as to why we exactly. shouldn't do amnesty, because it'll create millions <laughs> of loyal Democratic voters. Now, of course, it would do that, and that is certainly a reason to pursue amnesty, but of course, the greater humanitarian reason is uh, is not touched upon and is viewed purely as a strategic move to whip up a new voter base. How you doing? Good. How about you? Good. 
So the thing about me yeah. is I'm a brilliant political mind. Yeah. PhD in political economy from Oxford, that's not an easy get. Nope. Bruno and Doug know that I can handle the tough meeting. That's why they're sending me with you to meet Victor Campos. Yeah. I have an exceptional mind. But I don't know who Victor Campos is. Yeah. But pal, I went to Oxford, okay, which is in England. Hey, you weren't kidding about that exceptional mind. Sam. England and Europe, right? Sam. This is, again, just sort of an interesting... Almost, it's it's not a mask off moment. It's literally not like, really. yeah, well, this is actually this is this is actually like much more realistic. Yeah, of a of a portrayal of how you would wield the power in here. And then the scene, the the Sam and Josh like um, meetings concludes with another visit from uh, Congressman Mark Richardson, who we saw way back in season one. Yes, um, during the gun control debate, where he also delivers some news about like whether he can keep his caucus the congressional black caucus in line with the estate and tax. not exactly and not override the president's veto right so it's another just sort of very i don't want to say real politic because that's a because fuck that but right. it's like this is actually he says out loud like black people don't vote as a block you asshole right like you can't just come to be us and be like well this will be good for black people right <laughs> yeah. So, it's, well, yeah, and then he says, like, it's it's just a very, both of these minority representative characters come in and spit hot fire in a very real way right? that is like, yeah, so maybe if the administration internalizes these things and begins to make some different choices... And actually, we could like, get some real progress. And actually, like, do anything for, yeah. for I don't know, anyone, really? Yeah. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even though the entire framing and, and conceit of this show is that it's the hardest thing in the world to do, and it takes all these people putting in all these hours to accomplish nothing. <laughs> yeah. That, that's so, the other thing. Yeah. Uh, not to, sorry to pivot back to Donna's date again, but she's an hour and a half late, and I think we're meant to view it as like, oh, isn't she such a cute workaholic? She was so busy working, she was an hour and a half late for her social life. That's horrifying. Like that's that's super yeah. fucked. Actually, like that, that that's, that's an unhealthy up. work-life balance. If you have a date. Be on time for it. And if you're going to work late, call up the date. Cell phones were around and be like, hey, I'm running late. Why don't we meet up later? Like, well, it's, it's sorry, also presumed... this really bothered me for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I presume that dates start at 730 or later. So it's like, okay, so you've already put in your 10 hours right. for the day. No, the implication is that they're constantly working just all the yeah. time, like <laughs> forever, every day, seven days a week. They get three hours of sleep and then they're just back at work. Like it's, it's unhealthy. Well, and so actually this is a real good way to shoehorn a very small point in when the, the staffers all take this shit back to Bartlett about the veto and uh -huh. whatever he uh, basically he runs down the temporarily embarrassed millionaires trope, right? Um, As an for Americans, for why, why they would you know hate the idea of a death tax because they all think they're going to be rich one day. Exactly, and then then proceeds to just completely bypass the lesson <laughs> of understanding that, right? To be, and it's like if you fundamentally understand that, then. How come you can't do this better? Yeah, like, you need to dissuade people of that narrative. I know, like, you have to, 
you have you take and you take steps by doing it by pointing out how like this estate tax only affects 4500 families or whatever you know you start pointing out the the giant wealth disparity in the country and that like uh, look, normal people, you do not have to worry about being death taxed because the rich own got so much goddamn wealth, and like that's all you have to start yelling about, and then you win. Like if you could just, it's weird how he understands it, and like you said, just refuses to do anything with it. Yeah. So yeah, and that's they're they're this like this segment that we just recorded is basically like you get three or four like bam 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 opportunities that the administration could take away yes. and literally literally put to good use and they just they just fucking don't they bungle they all don't. of them and instead they get a minor pr win about this investigation that is actually going to be a giant problem for them yeah and so once again we spin around in in they're our very, 44 minutes of screen time and not proactive rather than choosing one of the proactive opportunities available to them they're instead acting entirely reactively to this to the investigation problem rather than thinking about like how can we lead in other ways so that after this investigation is over people will be like oh look at all this cool stuff they did well and you they, and again they end up at the end of the episode having being right back where they started yep. basically you get all this tv time and nothing happens and that's the fundamental problem with the show, you know? Hooray! You we've, we've reached this point again. <laughs> Hooray! It's <laughs> of going shockingly anyway. easy to get back to this point. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some reason, looks in writer's room direction. Uh, right, let's so take another let's, uh, quick break. And, yeah, and we'll, and, and uh, we we'll come back up. and we'll wrap up. <laughs> Okay, uh, before we wrap up, I do want to remark on the most exciting subplot that we failed to mention, which is the ongoing and uh, temptatious, flirtatious, <laughs> salacious uh, <laughs> relationship between Bruno and Margaret, where uh, before he meets with Leo, she's like, you forgot my name again, huh? And he's like, no it's Gertrude <laughs> and she's like it's Margaret and uh the scene ends with him saying uh Margaret Margaret to himself as you know to kind of like drill it into his head so he won't forget next time and I think this is an interesting tidbit because as we will see later on Bruno is a man who has forgotten many women's names <laughs> uh in his lifetime if you know what I mean <laughs> and it's interesting that this is one name that he is choosing to remember which I think gives more credence to the theory uh or th not the theory, but sort of the actor's uh, decision to uh, to have them hook up and have a child together, where uh, things things got real serious with uh, he where he wants to actually remember Margaret's name because as we'll see later on in the in the one where they win the campaign, he's uh, he's got some other date there for the campaign victory party, and he's like he keeps every time he tries to introduce her to another character, he forgets her yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Bruno's a man who's forgotten many a lady's name, but chooses to remember Margaret. We will keep an eye on this for further developments in this uh, most exciting subplot of The West Wing. Get me another Margaruno! <laughs> it's Cinco de Drinko, baby! <laughs> That's the shipping name. For the... And yes, I do ship them quite heavily. Uh, so that basically wraps up this episode of The Worst Wing. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. The uh, next episode is going to be entitled On the Day Before. Um which is more of the investigation. Actually, not really. Uh, we deal with the veto of the estate tax bill right away. I think this is the one that cold opens with the actual veto process itself. Um, and it's filmed very dramatically. And I actually kind of like it from what I recall. Uh, but perhaps on second viewing, that will change. <laughs> it usually does. And also, you'll note that there is a stamp. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they bring that up this time. That you, you sign it and you stamp it. Um, Bartlett and Leo are trying to get this, uh, governor away from the primary. They're really concerned about primary challengers, despite Bartlett being an incumbent, presumably because of the MS thing. Uh, and then also, uh, CJ deals with a shitty reporter, uh, and Charlie is urged to ask for immunity in his upcoming testimony. So yeah. all that to look forward to and more on what it will presumably be another boring episode where basically nothing happens. There, there is simultaneously too much and not nearly enough happening. Yes, like there's too much to talk about. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, though, nothing happens. Sit here and, and make the, no the teacher noises from Peanuts for an entire episode and be like, well. Would you even notice? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you guys would, our loyal listeners. Thank you again for joining us. Um, and we will see you hopefully next week bye bye all the money you ask for but don't ask me to come on along